Okay, welcome back. Episode 14 of In All the Wrong Places. I am Shannon Belil, and I'm so excited to have a guest with me today. So I'm going to introduce Erin um, Fordham. She is a fellow fertility warrior and is quickly becoming a good friend and confidant to me. So I'm so grateful to have you here. Thanks for having me. Today, um, we're going to talk a little bit about how sometimes when we are going through something, we think that we have to heal and suffer alone, or we don't think that we have to we sort of just do it naturally without realizing and I think that that comes from some kind of fear I know for me I spent a good portion of my first few years struggling um, trying to put on a brave face and only feeling my feelings in private including around my husband and the closest people in my life just trying not to burden people with my story um, because I felt like I was annoying. Yeah. I felt like I was a broken record and a Debbie Downer. And it was really hard to have like weekly or monthly get togethers with my friends who weren't going through what I was going through. So I really internalized everything kind of when I got home or when I got in the car or when I went yeah. to the bathroom, things are a little bit different now that we're in the IVF process. Um, because I, we have more of like scheduled appointments months in advance. So the weeks and months in between those appointments, I'm not as like pressured or tightly wound mm -hmm. as I was when we were doing timed cycles or IUIs. Yeah. But I do remember when we were first trying, you know, and obviously like tracking ovulation, you know, you're in that first two weeks tracking and timing your sex with your partner. Yeah. And then bam, you're ovulating and suddenly Trav's eating asparagus and I'm eating pineapple and I'm laying with my legs up and not drinking and trying to relax, <laughs> but also trying not to stay stagnant and going for walks to distract myself, but also staying positive and all of the things. And then you get your period and mm -hmm. you kind of feel like you start the entire cycle all over again. And, you know, I've said it here before, but you just feel like you're in this horrible time loop that you can't get out of. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, you just feel like you're just this depressing burden that no one wants to talk to or everyone walks on eggshells around because you're so fragile. Yeah. It really, for me, took stepping out of my comfort zone to pull me out of this loop and allow me to share and connect and know that I wasn't alone. Um, and so I know we've talked about this and connecting with you has definitely been one of those incredible gifts to come out of this experience for me. Um, so would you say that it also took you a while to open up and kind of find that sense of community and connection? Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. A really long time, actually. I'm going to come back to it, but I want to <laughs> give you my analogy of your time loop. <laughs> I always pictured it on my journey, like a roller coaster that you could not get off. That ah. just went around and around because you go up the hill and you're like excited and you have that like butterflies yeah. and then the drop. And then all of a sudden it's like, you know, everything falls out of it. And then you're screaming and going over a loop and oh, around and you goodness. don't know what's coming around the next corner. And then you slow down, get to the end and you're ready to get off. And then it just keeps yeah. going. <laughs> can unbuckle that seatbelt. No. It's funny because I love hearing other people's analogies because I just always picture Groundhog Day and how in some kind, in all those movies and the new like adaptations of it, the beginning always seems so fun. It's like, oh, I get to relive this day again. Like yeah. how cool, like I'm going to do things a little different or how yeah. fun that I know what's going to happen and I can predict it. And then eventually it starts to get like real repetitive, real frustrating, yeah. real boring. And yeah. it's just yeah. hard to break. Yeah. Let me off. Yeah, yeah, this. yeah, yeah, yeah. So back to your question, um, it took me a long time. My fertility journey was a 10 year journey. Mm -hmm. I started trying in 2011 with my partner. We'd been married for um, 10, uh, almost 10, eight or nine years at that point. I don't know. We got married super young at 21 <laughs> years old. So we were like, you know, had been married for a while. We're ready to just start trying. We were living overseas. Yeah. And um we started trying at the same time as a bunch of other friends and, and my sister and, and um, we let it go because we were moving and traveling. We, we kind of just tried and mm -hmm. didn't really think much about it. And you were young. We were young. We were, yeah. I was like 28. Yeah. And um, I talked to my neighbor who was a naturopath and she's like, I'm going to get you pregnant so fast. And I was like, okay. So she put me on this herb and we, you know, we were just like, you know, just messing around. We weren't even... Mm -hmm not even like you could call it trying we pulled the goalie yeah. right that was pretty much it yeah so we let that go on for a couple of years because we moved overseas and i had to find a family doctor like we moved back to canada we were living overseas and i um found a family doctor and then it took a while to get um her to her to say like well why don't we just like 
do some baseline testing. Mm -hmm. And um, it was at that point where we, we found out there was, um, we had a major male factor infertility. So that was, um, yeah, that was pretty significant. And so that was about, I would say probably like three years into like trying. Mm -hmm. And then we went down a huge rabbit hole for like two or three years of trying to correct that mm -hmm. issue before we even got into fertility treatment. So we were like, I think probably six years in before we even got to like a fertility clinic crazy to just like, you know, um, that's a long time. <clears throat> yeah. And, and during that time we hardly shared it with anybody. Um, I didn't have any other friends that were going through it. Mm -hmm. All of my friends got pregnant pretty easily from what I knew, unless they also weren't talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> and how, and this was, like you said, you kind of started this in 2011, right? Like, yeah. so this is back when it's like, social media is brand spanking new. We yeah. may only have Facebook. Like mm -hmm. people really weren't opening up about this kind of stuff back then. Yeah. There's no like Facebook online groups for mm -hmm. support or anything like mm -hmm. that. I, it was just Dr. Google, yeah. you know, and actually like, there was an app. Um, I, I went on like the, what to expect um, forum. And I found some like where you could ask questions and comments and relay. It was like the closest things like a Facebook support group <laughs> back then they had an app too. Um, and I think I, I maybe like went there and that was the only place I found like any sort of level of community. Yeah. And then it wasn't until, um, my mom actually introduced me to, um, a young woman at her church that was, um, a designer and we like, we were both very creative minds and mm -hmm. I was, I had a little fashion company at the time and she's like, um, you know, come be my fashion show. And so we connected for a coffee and, and, um, we just got talking about our TTC journeys and turned out she was also like struggling. And that was the first person I met that I was like, oh my gosh, like this felt so good to talk about it and the struggle, you know? And mm -hmm. like, I think it was really only our families that knew at that time. Yeah. And so, so yeah, she, she and I, like we would connect and then we, the boys got together and they, they hit it off and they had all the similar interests. So that was really nice just to have somebody else that, that we kind of connected with. And it was her that suggested, you know, we, she was going to start like a support group and just like a, a place where everybody, cause she knew a couple other people as well. And she's like, I just think it'd be important to once a month get together and just have a place to like talk, mm -hmm. just people to wait with, because we're just waiting, mm -hmm. you know, and this is taking so long and we're just waiting. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, she called it hope for waiting arms, which is beautiful name because it, like we're just empty arms yeah. waiting for these, you know, kids to come along <laughs> and everybody was on a really different sort of journey she was going straight from an infertility diagnosis, unexplained infertility, straight to adoption. Mm -hmm. And I was, we were going down the rabbit hole of, you know, how to fix this major male factor. And then um, when we couldn't into IUIs and <clears throat> with donor sperm and then eventually onto a couple of rounds of IVF. Yeah. So it, I, she started the support group and I actually didn't go. <laughs> I was like, um, I'm good, but like, I love that you're starting this. It's so beautiful and like, good for you. Mm -hmm. And I hope it's a really good night. Okay. <laughs> but why do you feel like you were like afraid to jump in or you weren't ready yet? Yeah. I don't like, I actually don't know. It's hard to go back yeah. that far, but cause now that's like eight years ago from mm -hmm. today. But I, I feel like I, I didn't need it. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like I was just like, yeah, it, I was inside. I was internalizing like what mm -hmm. was going on and just feeling like I got this. Mm -hmm. I, it's male factor. We mm -hmm. have sperm now. I've never been pregnant. And my, you know, my sister got pregnant so easily. My mom got pregnant so easily. I'm just going to get pregnant so easily. Mm -hmm. I've been doing all of the things. I've literally created <laughs> the perfect period thanks to my naturopath who's amazing. And now I'm just going to get pregnant on the first IUI. That was like what I thought. Yeah. And so I was going in there like, I don't need support group. I don't need community. I'm good. I'm going to be pregnant and then I'm going to, yeah. you know, move on from all of this. Mm -hmm. And then the first IUI failed. And then I was like <laughs> devastated. And she was like the first person I called and said, when support group, I'm coming to the next one. Yeah. And so I did two back-to-back -back IUIs. Um, and the second one also failed. And then I took about a four month break mm -hmm. to fix myself, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> to fix my body that wasn't broken at all. Yeah even yeah. a little bit, um, with the help of naturopaths. And I mean, uh -huh. I saw whatever doctors I could, um, osteopathy, uh, Reiki, like I just tried all the things to try and like 
have a perfect body. Mm-hmm. It's like, cause it's what you can take control of right at the time. Oh yeah. Especially yeah. as someone who is like, I'm such, such a go-getter and take care of myself. And if I don't know the answer to something, I go and find it. Yeah. And I often have so much control in my life that when I can't control this, I spiral out of yes. control because I then don't know what to do. And so, yeah, you start to think it's me. It must be me. How do I fix me? What yeah. can I do to fix that? Yes. And that almost causes more stress yeah, and more totally. problems. Yeah. Honestly, my naturopath was like my biggest, she was like my therapist, my friend, <laughs> but also like an amazing healer. And she, she had this like program for fertility that was called how to make a baby without the crazy. <laughs> So basically, like, how do we do this without making ourselves feel like we're literally going insane? Yeah. Because you're so, there's just so many things that make you feel like a crazy person. Like if I drink this glass of wine, is my transfer not going to stick? And if it doesn't stick, then I definitely, it's because of that one glass of wine. And she's like, absolutely not. Like, that makes you feel like, (laughs) you know really mentally unwell. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I don't use the word crazy lightly, but at the same time, it's that it, it really is like, mm-hmm. that's the closest thing I can in the English language to put it to, you know, it makes you feel out of control. Yeah. And, and so finding control, taking control of some things like, okay, these vitamins I can take and like, what can we do mm-hmm. to help us feel? Mm-hmm. And she, and she would say to me, if the glass of wine makes you feel less crazy <laughs> then drink the wine. And yeah. I was like, oh yeah, that's actually yeah. a really good like balance, you yeah. know, like if you, if working out makes you feel, if that helps with your stress and that helps with your mental health, then that's what you should do. Even though the doctor says, yeah. work out lightly, yeah. you know? Um, and so doing the things that make you feel the most like you mm-hmm. is the most important. I mm-hmm. think when you're in that really like hard part, yeah. you know, taking those breaks, doing those little things to, cause stress is such a huge contributor, yeah. you know? Well, and especially when like, I think there is a definite difference between being told very specifically, here is your problem. Mm. It's you. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And you cannot work out because of your sure. problem. Yeah. Which is probably like 0.1% of people who go through fertility have right. that actual clear defining answer. Yeah. Most other people are like, it's it's unexplained yes. or it might be this. Like, mm-hmm. like there never really is like a definite, a definite answer. And I think that when when we try so hard to do all the things that are right, who are who are those things right? Who who yeah. <laughs> is that for? Like, yeah. that's like the, they say yeah. you should do this. Well, who are they? Yeah, like- <laughs> exactly. It's this huge, like umbrella or like all of, you know, let's like yeah. just lump everybody together. It's like when everyone starts trying to give you advice, like yeah. what worked for them, like yeah. just relax, go on vacation, get drunk, blah, yeah. blah, blah, all those things. It's like, that's great. That works for you, but you kind of have to figure out what works for you. Yeah. And so I love that advice. Just yeah. whatever makes you feel less crazy. Whatever <laughs> makes you feel the most normal and the yeah. most in control of what you can control. Because here's the thing. We can have the perfect workup, the perfect cycle, the perfectly tested embryo, the perfectly perfect every cy- everything <laughs> in every cycle, and it still yeah. doesn't freaking work. Yeah. And that's the most annoying mm-hmm. thing about fertility treatment is like, we did everything in our control yeah. for this and it's still yeah it's crazy happened. because it's like it is a science it's like this geniusly constructed thing that happens Travis and I always laugh about it because we don't have sex to have yeah. a baby right yeah. now like we are actually told don't have sex two days before your transfer right. like so we are not physically connecting to have yes. a baby which is how you're supposed to have a baby right. so it's this beautifully constructed scientific thing but yet there's also no science to it because there's sometimes things just happen and it doesn't work out and there's no explanation for it and yeah. you kind of have to like come to terms with that. Mm -hmm. And that's not an easy thing to do. I'm still not there fully all the time. Yeah, I know. That's, that's such an interesting thought, Shannon, because it's so true. Like the actual like chemistry that your body needs from your partner, like that, like Mm -hmm. we'll call it romantic chemistry or whatever, isn't there at the time of conception Mm -hmm. for this child. Mm -hmm. And I like, you just wonder what effect that's going to have, like on the child or on your relationship or like on the, you know, the long term. It's so interesting that 
you know, even though it is there because you're there supporting one another and all the other things, it's like, if there's no spark in that mm-hmm. moment, you mm-hmm. know, like what really happens in that Petri dish when that ICSI yeah. sperm goes into that <laughs> ICSI egg, you know? I hope they're playing some kind of romantic music <laughs> in yes. the background. All the embryologists just like waltzing around. <laughs> love that. I That's the visual I have in my yes. head now and that's what I think I'm will gonna, always happen. Yeah, I love that. That's amazing. <laughs> oh, goodness. Okay. Well, so... I want to know a bit more about your story then. And, and obviously for the listeners, like you did eventually have a successful, um, it was IVF, correct? It was. Yes. ICSI IVF. Yeah. 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 We did. Um, so we, so I didn't, when, after I attended support group for the first time, I, I almost didn't miss a meeting for <laughs> about five years, the rest of our whole journey. Yeah. And even when I was, and I took big breaks in my, I wasn't, I am not built. Like I know some women and, and couples and families going through this, they just go back to back to back, mm-hmm. balls to the walls, get it done. Mm-hmm. And I am not built that way. <laughs> I was like huge breaks. I was like yeah. one failure. Okay. Where are we going on vacation? I need to deal with this. <laughs> How am I going to get through the next step? Yeah. And, um, yeah. And so I would take big breaks because, cause there was this th- a thing, um, called Zika. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Remember before the pandemic? Yes. Yes. (laughs) So when we would travel, our doctor would say, sorry, you have to wait at least three months before you come back in for like another, another, uh, anything, IUI or transfer or anything. And so we'd be like, okay, I'd be like, well, fine, I'll take the needed break and just, (laughs) you know, so anyways, um, we did end up doing two rounds of IVF. Mm -hmm. Um, we ended up doing a surgery. My partner did a surgery where we could find some usable, usable sperm, but um, we didn't end up having any uh, live embryos with that. So that was pretty devastating too to go through all of that to get mm-hmm. it, and then end up with, without, um, without any. Um, but we did end up with, um, after two rounds of IVF, one failed frozen embryo transfer. Mm-hmm. We ended up sending all of the embryos from my second round of IVF, and then one from the first one for PGT testing. Yeah. I just, after my first failed frozen embryo transfer, mm-hmm. I was like, I can't go through that again. Mm-hmm. I just was, I took it really hard. I struggled a lot. I like yeah. that. And I, like, so well, you're being told that this is the thing that's going to work. Yeah. Especially with the male factor fertility, because essentially what happens is for us too, because that's what ours is, yeah. is they're telling you that you're gonna get pregnant you're perfectly capable and fine and there's no issue with you and so then you kind of go into that being like okay this is our fix it's also in some situations like all your eggs in one basket it's like your last straw yeah and so when it doesn't work you kind of have to start coming to terms with the reality that you might not get what you want out of this situation totally yeah well our last um egg retrieval was on my 37th birthday Mm -hmm. and so out of all of the uh, embryos we sent to pgt testing we ended up with only one that came back wild as a a euploid embryo Mm -hmm. and yeah so we transferred that as soon as possible which happened to be september of 2019 uh sorry 2020 2020 so we went through the pandemic hit right between Mm -hmm. the time i was gonna go for my first so my first uh transfer was in february 2020 and then the pandemic hit and then we went through our second round of ivf right in the middle of the the pandemic so that was well for all of you who've been through fertility (laughs) during the pandemic like props to you going to all of the things on your own like the appointments and ultrasounds like it's yeah just so difficult insane Mm -hmm. we that was march of 2020 was our um last iui with the first clinic we were at Uh and we then took it as we we were not happy with them anyways and we sort of took it as our way to get out and we then said we're taking we're taking i was I was sort of the opposite of you and I wanted back to back to back to back. Yeah. And I'm still kind of there right now after our miscarriage in December. Like yeah. we did our second embryo transfer in April, lost in June. And now we're going into our third embryo transfer yeah. because I don't think I could take a break. I think if I did, I might not come back. Yeah. And 
but in 2020, I remember that feeling like we had just gone through seven IUIs, which oh you and I God. have talked about before, which is insane. Yeah, it's bananas. And <laughs> I then was like, this is... Especially with male factor, like, I want to complete And it, we, they didn't time. know that it was male factor oh, yet. Yeah. And yeah, I just... They don't test it until you push, push and ask a thousand times yeah. for that. No, it just must be me. There no. must be something wrong with me, right? And I, yeah, I'll just never forget that feeling like of no co- like the covid mm-hmm. pandemic i'm mm-hmm. this is our break like we're taking a break and so then yeah. we didn't go back until january of 2021 yeah so i don't know that was a good, what that, that experience was, was like for all of you who went through it in Ooh. the pandemic but yeah. i can only imagine it was yeah it's already stressful and complicated and like confusing i yeah. can only imagine what it was like yeah. during a pandemic <laughs> well i was devastated because like i had this great plan we were going on our 15 year wedding anniversary oh. trip to maui <laughs> And um, on a cruise and then, yeah, pandemic hit and everything just got canceled, including my second round of IVF Mm -hmm. that was supposed to be right when we came back from our cruise. Yeah. Yeah. So, which was supposed to be in in May. So it it got delayed for a couple months, only only until June. So it Mm -hmm. wasn't too, too bad. Um, but yeah, with and then the, happened on your birthday. And then so, it happened on my birthday. Yeah. I know what are the chances? So my son was actually conceived <laughs> in his little whatever petri dish <laughs> on my thirty seventh birthday. Um, and I suspect I might have an egg quality issue, like having, um, well, I mean, con- combined with the embryos that we we started to make with my partner's sperm, and then the ones we used with donor sperm. Yeah, we um, out of I think it was about twenty three eggs of mine only one mm-hmm. embryo that wasn't that was euploid so mm-hmm. um i have i suspect i might have an egg quality issue as well yeah as we were using like sort of partial sperm that was my partner's and then good donor sperm so yeah. i mean it's so hard to know it's I hard think, to know yeah, yeah it's really hard because- have you heard too that like i had heard once that when you go through a retrieval if you you would think that if you got more eggs, it would be a good thing, but there's actually like th- this like middle number that's better. Like if you yeah. have too many eggs, then yeah. there is a chance that they're actually not all that good. Yeah. Because I had heard that. Yeah. And my both, so that would be from two um, retrievals. So mm-hmm. I had about uh, 12 or 13 each retrieval. Yeah. And funnily enough, most from my one, um, I have one overproductive. Um, yes. What's it called? Ovary? Ovary, thank you. I just couldn't think of egg. One overproductive ovary, and then one ovary that just makes one or two huge follicles. And so it's just some funny off-balance thing I have. I'm left-handed, so I'm probably a little bit quirky. Um, (laughs) My body's like, what is going on? But so one overproductive. So I mean, if I had produced that in both ovaries, yeah, Mm -hmm. we would have had like 20 eggs per cycle. So who knows what the heck is going on? But we did two completely different protocols both times and got the exact same results. Yeah. One, the first cycle cost me $3,000 worth of drugs. Um, that was my funded fund cycle. And then the second one cost me about 8000 worth yeah. of drugs. Same results. So yeah. I'm like, this is so annoying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. Um, yeah. So we did tra- a transfer. And uh, yeah, my son was born in May of 2021. Amazing. Just turned two, so Love yeah. that. Mm-hmm. And so when, when you're saying you know, you're, you're talking about, you did two rounds of IVF. And so just for people who may not know, or who are early in the process, like that's two retrievals. Yes. And so how many actual embryo transfers did you do? Just the two, the one that failed and then the one that was successful. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So after the one failed, we had one embryo left and I was, I said to my doctor, I'm not transferring that embryo Mm -hmm. because if it doesn't work, I'm I don't know like if I'll be able to keep going. And so I want to do another cycle now and test the one from the first. So we unfroze the one from the first cycle, tested it with the ones from the second cycle. And just because I said, I just want to know what I'm working with after two rounds of IVF. I don't know if we have the finances. I don't know if we have the time. I don't know if we have the energy or like the emotional strength to keep going after the second cycle. So my thought was, you know, we'll get two or three euploid embryos from this, from between the two cycles. And mm-hmm. then that will be like our whole family. So when we got it on the call on the fifth day, like what, or sorry, it was after the, the testing. Cause I think we sent five embryos away yeah. to be tested. Um, when we got the call from the testing saying that there was only one, mm-hmm. that was just like, 
okay, then that's it. Mm-hmm. It's just that one. Mm-hmm. So then the stress of transferring that embryo was beyond anything I had experienced of up course. until that point. Because I had pretty much, we had both like had a conversation and decided like, yeah, this is it. If this doesn't work, we're going to just move forward. Yeah you know, with no kids and just live the dink life. Yeah. Yeah. My goodness. (laughs) Okay. I have so many questions. So I'm going to take a small break and then come back Okay, because I still want to talk a little bit more about everything that we just chatted about. (laughs) Okay. So when you're talking about kind of going through all of this And now obviously you've had a successful transfer and and we're talking about, you know, community and connecting with others and how Mm -hmm. difficult it is to do when you're at the beginning. And obviously you did find this support group and you were able to connect with them, especially for the five-year journey. At this point, were you still communicating with all of them? I mean, you know, as we've talked about and as I've opened up about too, like once you find out that you're pregnant, when you're going through IVF, you find out you're pregnant literally when you're basically three weeks pregnant, which is like nothing. Normal people don't find out until they're like maybe six, but probably eight. Yeah. And so those first couple of weeks are scary as hell. Yeah. And did you have people to talk to about go like, you know, conversations, other people who are going through it. Yeah, no, that was really, I think that was like some of the hardest days too. I mean, just the joy of seeing a pregnancy test that was positive for the first time in my life. Yes. For the first time in my life at 37 and a half. Yeah. And it was actually like, okay, so when I was starting, first starting to try to have kids and and every, (laughs) you you talk to the people in the women in support group about this and it's like opposite into the spectrum. You have like the chronic pee on a stick every single day of their life kind of people (laughs) with like the massive Amazon packs of pregnancy tests. (laughs) And then you have the like non-testers and I was a non-tester. Me too. So I did a pregnancy test, pregnancy test a couple of times, like when we first started trying. Yes. And then I was like, this sucks. Well, I hate it. I was it. buying the expensive ones. Yeah. And then someone told me to buy the dollar store ones, but yeah. for some reason I never trusted them. <laughs> so then I just was like, this is stupid. I'm not wasting my money on this. I'm going to stop testing because they always do a beta. Yeah. So I was like, they're going to know. I actually also hated like the thought of being in a pharmacy or like my local grocery <laughs> store and somebody seeing me like that I knew buying a pregnancy test, like, yes. and, and like, I just felt like I had to hide this thing. Mm-hmm. And so even at the dollar store, like hiding it in the bottom of the basket, like what if somebody sees me and sees the pregnancy test and then yeah. wonders like, you know, I was like, I was pretty not secret about or hidden about my journey, but mm-hmm. I definitely like, you know, I just hate people like thinking, oh, what if, what if, what if? And then always like looking at my body, wondering yeah. if there's a belly there, wondering yeah. if, you know, just all of that shit that comes with the whole thing yeah. where you're like, I just, you know, want this so badly. And and I know other people want mm-hmm. it for me too. I've been open about our situation for probably the last like four years, which is crazy because it feels like longer. Mm-hmm. And um, the other day, someone that I know, who I've known forever, who knows that we've had two miscarriages and have been struggling, touched my stomach and asked me if I was pregnant. Good God. I still can't yeah. believe that people <laughs> judge our bodies yeah. and like do that kind of shit. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. to anyone, let alone someone that you know that's going through fertility yeah. issues. I know. It's just, it's it's so hard and you just feel, I, I would like dress to not look pregnant all the time. Yeah. I would always have a glass of wine in my hand uh, at any work function yes. so people wouldn't like I think it's just because of our maternal age and like yeah. you know just being you know people just expecting it oh she's been married for 15 years surely they're gonna have kids that yeah. you know or maybe they're just not like yeah. what's wrong you know and so it actually feels so good to tell the story now yes. um after the fact I'm so like I admire you so much for telling your story as you're in the thick of it. Like it's just, it's just such a, such a warrior move. And, (laughs) and uh, yeah, yeah, no, it's amazing. Um, Yeah. So that community, that was your question. Um, (laughs) Did I have anybody to talk to once I became pregnant? And the answer is actually not really. I mean, I've definitely talked to people Mm -hmm. and I could talk about pregnancy, but not anybody who had, there's a few people who'd been pregnant, like through our support groups and whatnot, but I wasn't really telling anybody yet. So that's the other thing is you're like trying to hold your cards a bit close at that point. It's like one of the things, there's so many things we could talk about this four hours, the things that we are robbed of from 
infertility and being yeah. in that space. Um, one of the things is being able to like wait until you're you know, past your first trimester to tell your family and friends that you're expecting, you know, like that's the one thing It's one of the things that, that um, you're robbed of because everybody knows this transfer is happening. Everybody knows that means in two weeks we'll know. And I was lucky in that. um, And everyone pushes. Like they do. They really, how, how's it going? Yeah. How how are you feeling? Yeah. Did you have your doctor's appointment yet? And it's like, yeah, I'm not very good at lying. Mm -hmm. And so I would just say it, or I would, feel rude being like, I'm really sorry. I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. And when I say that, then they assume, oh, it's bad news. Yeah. But it wasn't. Like, yeah. That was what happened to us last year. Right. Yeah. I'm of a different mindset now. I just feel like at this point, because I'm in a different place than you are, you didn't necessarily have social media when you were going through it. Yeah. And I feel like I do. And yeah. that's where I've been able to make such great connections and yeah. really create a community around mm-hmm. what I've gone through and other people who are going through the same thing. Yeah. And now that we're on our third transfer, I am like an open book and mm-hmm. I'm just like, let's let everyone know exactly what we're going through as I'm going through it. So the world is probably going to know three mm-hmm. weeks after our transfer in September, right. if I'm pregnant or right. not. And we're just going to run with that yeah. and hope that everyone's positive energy and thoughts mm-hmm. and prayers help us keep this one. I so. love that so much. That's And it's honestly so helpful for the people who are in the thick of it right now that can relate to you Mm -hmm. and I remember I did follow a couple people on social media who were going through stuff and I just a few stages ahead of me that had like that were pregnant and sharing about their pregnancies and I remember thinking like that was hopeful it was helpful um I want to circle back to my comment about pregnancy tests because um this is an important piece of the story but (laughs) I so that transfer it was the only other pregnancy test I took yeah like since the beginning because I was just like this is the final one I need to know at Mm -hmm. home like well and that's the thing you're we're robbed of like peeing on a stick and seeing a plus or a yes is the one thing I always thought I would experience Mm -hmm. And to then go through this process and not have that. Yeah. And even to go through this process, like, so did you pee on the stick before your beta? Yeah, just the okay. day before. Okay. And I did it say positive? It said yes. <gasps> yeah, Amazing. it did. So I didn't know. I didn't want to see like a line that was not very dark yes. or anything. I just wanted to like at least know a yes and then go for the beta and get the numbers. Yeah. And I'll never forget that phone call because every other phone call I was – pretty sure like it was a no with the yeah. IUIs and with the one well the the one embryo transfer like I didn't test before yes. so that that one I actually I let it go to voicemail and I do that a lot because with those phone calls I was like I can't like with the with the numbers for yeah. the when we were going through the IVF and getting like the how many made it to day three how many made it to day five yeah. all of that I couldn't take those phone calls ever <laughs> I had to let them go to voicemail and then wait till I got home and I had like had a glass of wine in my hand and then my yeah. husband was there and we would like listen to it together. Um, just oh for, man, for that, that support. takes patience. I am like, a, I need to know. I was like, but I was scared of yes. the known. Yes. Like right now I don't know and I'm okay with not knowing, but like the, when you know, then you have to, I'm like afraid yes. of my emotions hugely. So yes. I'm like, then I knew it was going to come and I would have to deal with it. Um, but not knowing, I was like, I can just cruise on and pretend nothing's <laughs> happening. No big deal. <laughs> yeah. And I'm pretty pretty good at like sidelining the reality and just like living in, you know, like pretending like that that's not there. Yeah. And so I think that's why I was able to take big breaks and enjoy mm-hmm. life and mm-hmm. work on other projects and focus on my career and do all of that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that pregnancy test was pretty special mm-hmm. because it was the only one of the only ones and I did go and spend the big bucks. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I, I was hopeful that my beta would come back and I think all four nurses at the fertility clinic were on the phone when they made that yeah. phone call because I'd been going there for so long. Yeah. Um, they do that with me too. Yeah. The two times that they've called to tell me oh we're pregnant. They, you know, immediately, it's a different phone call. It's a, yeah. You can hear it in the voice from the second that the one starts talking and then says, there's someone who wants to, there's someone here who wants to talk to you. Yeah. And then they all jump on and start saying like, yeah. you're pregnant, you're pregnant. It's actually a super emotional uh-huh. experience. It is. And, uh, it's nice that they do that. I like yeah, that they do that. I do too. Yeah. 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 
no, oh, it's, it's pretty cool. So yeah, as far as uh, community after that, like positive pregnancy test, um, no, I felt like it was a really big gap and a long time getting mm-hmm. through like the week to week, just trying to take it one day at a time yeah. and just hope that everything was okay. And all of my ultrasounds, cause it was COVID, I had to go in alone. Uh, so my partner wasn't there like at the seven weeks dating ultrasound yeah. where they dated me like a week ahead. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, we ended up booking a 3D ultrasound so that he could come and so yeah. see the baby for the first time at, I think, 17 weeks. Yeah. 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 Oh, wild. Mm-hmm. What a crazy experience to have to go through that. And uh, well, good. Well, I'm glad. Well, thank you for sharing all of that. Yeah. I uh, I want to get more into sort of the communities, the support group stuff. And so, yeah. you know, as you know, as everyone knows, I kind of embarked on a 100-day walking journey mm-hmm. at the beginning of this year after we lost um, our baby in December. Yeah. And it was sort of meant to help clear my head and, you know, cure my broken heart. And um, truthfully, like the main intention was just to kind of like slowly get out and take things like one day at a time and just try mm-hmm. to see like if the fresh air could make me feel better. Um, and what I actually got out of the experience was so much more than what I had expected. Like it was mm-hmm. a really a really healing process for me. And I think that that scenario, like that, it's so true in so many other aspects of the fertility world. Like, mm. um, I think that we often shy away from experiences. I think we shy away from opening up, from connecting with other people because we're afraid of something. What, what, what it is we're afraid of is I think different yeah. for every person. But when we actually do the thing that we're afraid of, I think that we are pleasantly surprised by how much more we get out of the experience. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I really feel that this, I really feel that way about the community aspect of the fertility world. So much so that I had said to you before, when we were chatting about this, you know, the fertility journey is the strangest experience because on one hand, I would never want anyone to go through it. Mm -hmm. Um, it's lonely, it's soul crushing, you know, it breaks you down little by little, but I also can't imagine my life without it. Yeah. It really changes you. It's sort of made, I have had gone through deeper realizations about myself. There's a stronger bond in my marriage. Yeah. We sometimes are literally picking each other off the, off the floor, mm-hmm. but also the beautiful connections I've made, which is how we tie this into community. You know, um, I think that fear has a funny way of holding us back from things, you know, for like going back to the walking thing, you know, I've always wanted to go for a walk every day. It's why I have two dogs. I yeah. <laughs> was like, I'm going to get two dogs and I'm literally going to walk every day. But I always had this fear that if I miss a day, then I'm a failure. Mm. And I think that with fertility, the same thing happens when you're thinking about opening up about your struggles, Mm. because you're afraid that then you're acknowledging that you somehow have failed, like your body has failed you, or you have failed your body, you have failed your parents for not being able to give them grandchildren, you failed your partner, you know, Mm -hmm. you failed this version of your life that you have in your head. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that opening up kind of allowed me to find all those deeper connections that I didn't even realize were waiting for me, Mm -hmm. which really shifted and changed my life. And so part of the reason why I brought you on today was because I want to talk a little bit more about Oasis, which you are a co-founder with Tiffany. Yeah. Yes. And Tiffany's not here today, but I would also love to have her on the podcast separately. Um, And I just want you to just briefly chat about Oasis Fertility Support Network. Yeah. Okay, good. Glad I got that right. (laughs) Um, And kind of what it is and what it does. Yeah. So I guess with the support group that I attended while I was on my journey and my friend Emily who founded it and, Mm -hmm. and was running it for so long, she got to a point where she was feeling like, you know, disconnected and she had her adopted kids and, and their family was, you know, moving forward. And she was just feeling like, I think I'm ready to pass the baton, you know, like, and, and sort of wrap this up. And we had some other people come in and lead the group over the years as well, when she took some breaks. And, and so it it was real, like a real team effort. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, so I, I said, yeah, don't do, don't shut it down. I'm, I'll come back and I'll lead the group again. And it was when I did that, um, that I just started to have this, like, I don't know, feeling of like, this is, 
this needs to be more mm -hmm. than what it just is here. Mm -hmm. We need to, this needs to be in like every city across Canada, mm -hmm. you know, this group, this community, this like in-person um, connection is so important on this journey because you do feel so alone. Mm -hmm. And um, some of the women who I was in the group with, um, we ended up having children like a few, we all got pregnant sort of um, one after the next over a course of six or seven months. Mm -hmm. And so we still do life together. And once they became pregnant, it was easier in my, in my pregnancy to like, yeah. and I supported them and we, we supported each other. Um, yeah. And so um, we just decided this group needs to continue on and we need to grow this and we need to create a bigger community, like, you know, a network of community. And so, um, yeah, we, we just started, Tiffany and I started talking and just realized we can do, we can do so much more with this. Mm -hmm. And, and so, yeah, that's what we're doing. We're building it. We're growing it. I we've got it. virtual groups online. We've got, um, four in-person groups currently, one starting next month in Toronto, which we're yes, so excited that's about. that's so great. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And a couple more that I can't quite talk about that's yet okay. that that's are coming okay. up <laughs> in October, but like, there's yeah. just, there's so many, yeah. um, that are, we'll, we will see. Yeah. It's just snowballing at this yeah. point. And we have huge it's support great. behind us, which is amazing. I yeah. love it because it's also one of those things that like, there's no pressure from someone who's been to only one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like I've only been <laughs> yeah. to one of yeah, those four that's groups. Right. That's true. And um, kind of sort of what you were saying back when you were talking about the hope for waiting arms and how you didn't go at first. And mm -hmm. it's one of those things where sometimes I feel like I don't need it. Yeah. But then what I love about it is that it's there when you do. And there's yeah. no pressure if you don't go to a couple of meetings. There's You don't feel like your, how, how's the best way to put it? Like, I don't feel like I'm letting you down by not mm. going to a group. Yeah. You're just kind of like, no worries. Come when you can. Like yeah. that kind of come thing. When you feel like you need it. Like we're here when you need it. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think that's, you know, an important thing. And some people come every single month and they don't miss because, well, I, I kind of feel like, especially the in-person groups, like once you get there and you see the faces yeah. and you like hear, you know, the emotion and their voice talking about whatever part of their journey they're on there's just like that human connection that's undeniably like yeah. amazing. And like, I don't know, I kind of got addicted to like hearing what's where everybody's at in their story next yeah. month. Like I can't wait to go back, hear how everybody's doing, hear what's happening in their journey. Yeah. Maybe people aren't going to be there, which hopefully means that they're pregnant, yeah. you know, because we have like a no pregnant, no pregnancy announcements in our, in our yeah. sacred circle rule, because we just feel like yeah. it, that's so triggering. It needs to be a safe place for everybody. I love that. Yeah. And so, um, so yeah, it was just like, it became exciting and, and just, um, yeah, you just want to know it. I mean, there's definitely hard parts too. Like mm -hmm. I was there for a long time and I saw a lot of people come and go and have success and yeah. I was still there yeah. and that like gets taxing as well. And, yeah. and, and yeah, so, but you're there, you're still there for the support and you're still there for the community. And mm -hmm. at the end of the day, um, like just having space to vent and even say that in that yeah. circle or even talk about that in the group yeah. is so helpful, I found mm -hmm. on my journey. But definitely like getting out there for that first meeting is yeah. hard. It is. Um, but I would like people to know that it's not scary. Like even though it feels scary, you might mm -hmm. feel like I don't want to go. Like it's, you know, I don't know anybody and whatever. Like just know that we're all in this together. Yeah. And like our sharing circles are the most like chill, calm, mm -hmm. like you know, inviting, welcoming, warm, um, circle that you'll, you'll be a part of. It's yeah. kind of like AA for infertility, you yeah. know, like I'm Erin, I have infertility and <laughs> this is what's happening and I yeah. need, I need help and I need support and I need community. And so it's just like a special, yeah, special place to come and, um, and share and vent yeah. and get it out about like the experience you had with your doctor this month or the, you know, the, the thing that your sister-in-law said that, you know, really pissed you off, like talk yeah. about it in that sharing circle. Like that's what it's there for. Cause everybody gets it, yeah. you know? They really do. And I like too that you you could go to something like that and then you make a connection and then you become 
you maybe connect with that person then outside of the group. Yes, um, totally. Because your That's groups, hope. your groups happen every third Monday. Yeah, correct. Every month. of every month. Yes. Yeah. So you know. Yes, that's amazing and that it's consistent and that it's monthly and that yeah. you can count on that and rely on that yeah. in a world where there's so many uncertainties and things that you can't count on. Yeah. Um, however, I also think it's nice because if you do make a connection with someone, you then can connect with them more frequently. Yeah. You can text and stay in chat and touch and know what each other is going through. You can yeah. know when someone is going through something or having a yeah. procedure or having a beta yeah. and just send them a little message to yeah. let them know you're thinking of them. And I think that making those connections is such a beautiful part of what we're going. It's the only silver lining in mm -hmm. this horrible yeah. place that we all have to sit in. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah. Can you tell me what the definition of Oasis is? Yeah. Because I do love that. I think it's so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And we landed on that name after a few different tries at different names. <laughs> um, but Oasis stuck. I thought of it in the bathroom one day. Um, you know, you have those like, you know, going pee moments where you're... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ding. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah. And I was like, that sounds interesting. And then I was like, I wonder what the definition of that is. And I looked it up and like cried and got <laughs> chills all over my body because it was just like, couldn't have been more perfect. But the definition of Oasis is a fertile place in the desert where Love water that. is found. Love it. And the whole time we were trying to name it, I was, we were trying to think of like the place where people gather that is safe, mm -hmm. that is community, that is hopeful, that is all of the things that we want to be to the infertility or the, you know, fertility TTC community that are, you know, on a journey to having a family. And we, uh, you know, the water being the water makes sense being the place where you can have a drink, fill up, get like yeah. you're thirsty, you're in the desert, you're coming yeah. to this like hopeful place. Yeah. It's not a mirage. Where the water is found, <laughs> yeah. you yeah. know, the oasis so that we can like, you know, get you all feeling hopeful to keep going on your journey, like the strength that you need, the hope that you need. We want you to come into the support group mm -hmm. to find that and hopefully leave there feeling like charged and ready to face the world again after like another hard month of fertility treatment or trying or IUI or whatever yeah. you're going through. Yeah. Even if you're just doing like timed intercourse or, mm -hmm. you know, whatever it's, um, it's hard, it's taxing and it takes a long time mm -hmm. sometimes. And mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. that's it. It's <laughs> amazing. I love it so much. Um, and you are starting a podcast of your own soon. We are. That's so fun. Are we allowed to talk about we that? We can a talk bit? about the okay. podcast. Um, yeah. So that's super exciting because mm -hmm. I love the premise of it um, and how you're going to be connecting with individuals, couples who are going through things and uh, and talk about all of their journeys. Like every episode is going to be an episode with someone a sharing story. their story, which yeah. is lovely. And it's going to be everything from people going through fertility treatments to also the adoption process. Yeah. Um, will you talk to anyone going through surrogacy yes. and all of those different kind of things? Yes, absolutely. So we have big plans um, to release a couple episodes a month mm -hmm. and all of our episodes will be a story. And so the people that we are interviewing are in most cases on the um, other side of their journey, whether they've chosen to walk away from treatment and remain, you know, um, remain with no kids or whether they have children now, we're just, we're telling the stories um, for the, of the people who are finished and uh, hopefully, <laughs> you never know. Um, but yeah, so we, yeah, the stories that we, we just want all of the details. We want the good, the bad and the hopeful. That's kind of what we're going for. Yeah. You know, the high points, the low points, we want the stories. We have um, a, um, a format of 10 questions that we ask every guest the same 10 questions. We're getting into, um, yeah, the, the clinic experience. We're getting mm -hmm. into like the most raw and embarrassing moments of their fertility stories. <laughs> We're getting into what do they want to see for women's health and fertility treatment in the future? Like if you could dream really big, what would you see yes. for fertility? What would be the thing? I'm thinking like, we can create a sperm just from a blood test or something crazy, <laughs> like just take the DNA out of the, yeah. you know, the blood and make a sperm so we don't have to, you know, use yeah. donors or whatever. Not that it's a bad thing. It's, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, I just think that there's so many 
we have these great conversations and um, all of the stories are so uniquely different. And I love that so much. Um, We've got secondary infertility. We've got, you know, like recurrent miscarriages. We've Mm -hmm. got, you know, miracle pregnancies at the end of a long journey, like really cool stories. And we want to tell them all. So love that. Yeah, if you're listening and you wanna you wanna tell your story, we would love to chat with yes, you. Yes, <laughs> that's amazing. So, how can people get involved with Oasis? I assume following on social is a big one. Yeah. And what is the social handle? I'll oh, also yeah. tag it in the Thank you. bio. Yeah, it's Oasis FSN. Yeah. On um, Instagram and yep. then on Facebook, it's Oasis Fertility Support Network. The whole awesome. the whole long thing. Beautiful. And then you do have a website too with more information and stuff and merchandise that yeah. people can buy. Love All the it. pineapple stuff you can buy to support the um, the growth of the organization. So we do we are a not for profit and we're working yep. on our charitable status yep. so that we can receive donations um, and everything goes back into the charity. Right now we have only volunteers yep. and our board of directors. And so, um, yeah, we're really new. We just incorporated in March of 2023. Uh, <laughs> so we are, um, yeah, we're growing fast. Love it's gonna, it. It's going to be fast growth. We're excited. We've got big, big, big dreams and um, big, big, exciting events that Shannon's going to help us with, which is amazing. <laughs> yes, I know. I'm so excited. Our tea party. It's going to um, be a big fundraiser. And so people who are also not struggling can help. Like, yeah. they obviously, you know, purchasing merchandise anyone can do yeah um, and that's a great way to give to give back and just um even just following along and and listening to other people's stories yeah I do think me opening up to the people in my life who have not gone through this has really helped them as well Mm -hmm. because they now have a better understanding of kind of what we're going through and there are so many things that happen like me talking about people touching stomachs Mm -hmm. and that have just like we've just kind of always grown up with this way of thinking and this way of communicating Mm -hmm. and this way of reacting Mm -hmm. to people's trauma and loss because we haven't been taught or told anything else. And Mm -hmm. I think now there's this incredible like uproar army of all of us being like, no, that's not okay. Like this is how, like do it this way instead. Like this is what we need to feel supported and people are listening. And I love that. I mean, you know, not everyone does, but I think there are so many people who are listening and supporting and, and doing what they can to help. And I think that that's a beautiful thing. And I love seeing that. Yeah. 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 And part of our merchandise, like what we wanted to create was actually a marketplace for people to send or help somebody on their journey make them feel more hopeful so yeah you know like our cart we we created cards that say fertility infertility sucks and like it's okay not to be okay yeah. because we want you to be able to reach out to your, your friends who are struggling with infertility because you don't know what to say so we're going to hopefully create a lot of things as yeah. we grow that will help you fill those gaps for the people that are suffering through yeah. this and um yeah we just wanted to yeah, and in in that purchase, supporting a network yeah. that's helping them as well go through yeah. go through that um, desert. So beautiful, mm-hmm. I love it. Okay, well, thank you so much for being oh, here today. For me, it Shannon. was so nice to chat with you. It always is, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, just t- you know, reminding everyone that it's not a lonely scary place it doesn't have to be. it doesn't have to be mm-hmm. it's it is a scary shitty place yeah but it doesn't have to be lonely yeah. and uh I think that that is the most important piece when you're going through something like this is that you, you might not be comfortable opening up with family and friends yeah but you don't have to do it alone that's you, right you can build a community whether it's one person or 20 people yeah 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 Absolutely. I love it. Okay. Well, thank you. (laughs) And thanks for listening, everyone. I will tag all of Aaron's um, stuff below and uh, you can follow along with Oasis and everything that they're getting up to because I see big things coming their way. (laughs) And thank you again for being here. Um, All that regular last end of the episode stuff about rating and reviewing, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) I love you all. Thank you so much. Bye.